I'm Robert P. Fitton, and this is a quick synopsis of Once in a Lifetime, also known as 1927. Although I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, from my dad, I learned to appreciate the 1927 Yankees. I've sandwiched that appreciation into this story. Joseph Campbell said that the hero is ready for his journey. Charlie Russo, late of Ohio and now climbing the ladder of success in 1927 New York City, is at the top of his game. He's engaged to marry Francine Rumford, daughter of E.B. Rumford of Rumford Department Stores in New York City. But Charlie does not truly love Francine. He does love the New York Yankees, who are at the top of their game with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Tony Lazari, and Wade Hoyt. Under the grandstand at Yankee Stadium, Charlie is smitten with a freckled-faced svelte woman carrying an oversized bag. Her name is Jamel, and she's even more fascinating when he talks to her. But dumb old Charlie just lets her slip through the turnstile, and she's gone. And it's back to Francine criticizing him for going out to the ballpark. In fact, Francine tries to control his whole life. But hark, that's about to change. Charlie will meet Jamal as Charles Lindbergh climbs into the misty sky over Roosevelt Field on Long Island on May 20th, 1927. Jamal seems to know a lot about the future because, aha, she is from the future. And the bag she's carrying isn't a bag at all. Lay it on me, Macduff. She's building a transmitter to contact Sajian of this time period to prevent humanity from being destroyed by the Avigis, the bioenergy race in the future. But I digress. She has to build the damn transmitter in her flat off Columbus Circle. The bag is talking and Charlie soon learns that ELF is an advanced computing machine. Charlie and Jamal go to the huge ticker tape parade that's being held for Lindbergh in the city. Unfortunately for Charlie, or perhaps fortunately, he and Jamel are caught on film, which is shown in front of his hoity-toity engagement party. Francine and Charlie are done. And now the Bureau of Investigation is involved, with the lead agent Giff and his subordinate, the clumsy Ellery, following them. Back to our story. To complete the device, Jamel needs to transmit from a high place which would be Charlie's former place of employment, the Rumford Tower. The Rumford Tower is the Woolworth Tower, the Cathedral of Commerce, still in New York City today. She also needs neon. They can't find it very easily around New York City, so they fly to Boston and all over New York with a wild pilot named Langley. Jamel's plan is to unlock her friends who are caught in a continuum by the power plants up at Niagara Falls. They encounter the Avigis directly and are chased back to New York City. But Giff intercepts them with the powerful Avigis in the city. Charlie convinces Giff that the Avigis are real. As the Dempsey-Tunney fight is broadcast over speakers, Jamal races against the attacking Avigis to send a signal to her home planet. Now, I'm not going to fill you in on any of the details of the book, not the ending, except we all know Ruth hit his 60th home run on September 30th, 1927. This isn't the bogey and Bacall on the run love affair with Charlie and Jamel. It was important to research and bring 1927 and the advent of big media onto the center stage. But remember, the hero rides out his destiny. In the words of Babe Ruth, upon hitting 60 home runs, 
60. Count them, 60. Let's see some other son of a bitch do it. Well, some other son of a bitch did do it, babe, but that's okay. Once in a Lifetime is available at Amazon in Kindle and paperback, and the audiobook is at audible.com. I'm Robert P. Fitton, and this has been a quick synopsis.